Tasters and hopefully some horror literature lovers. I am Kate Gibson. And I'm Charlie Gibson. Welcome you back to Kate's House of Horrors uh, as she continues to try to convince me that the horror genre really contains some fine literature. And he continues to silently scream. <laughs> well, it's it's I'm, 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 I guess I'm being brought slightly kicking and screaming into this, but but maybe that's because I'm scared. Kate has gotten me to read a number of now of, of what are called horror books. I, I still don't like the nomenclature. I would call them dark fiction or books of dread, maybe. But the authors make a good case for them. And you'll hear an interesting case being made for the genre today. We're going to talk to Josh Mallerman. And he has written a series of books. We'll talk a little bit about the plots of his books because we do in this conversation. And you should have some background as you listen to us talk about his books. But I'm fascinated by the way he wrote. We've talked to so many authors who have had different approaches to how they write. He was in a rock band. (laughs) And he, traveling down the road while his fellow musicians were listening to The Grateful Dead at full volume, he was writing novels. Like you do. Sitting in the front seat. And he wrote 14 of them with no pre-knowledge that they would ever get published. It's really an extraordinary thing that he was doing. Yeah, again, it's one of those things where he sort of fell into incredible success. And I think he's as surprised by it and excited by it as anybody else. A friend got a hold of one of these stories and say, hey, would you mind if I gave it to a guy? And the guy called and hence and hence and hence. And he's found great success. He wrote Bird Box which was turned into a movie with Sandra Bullock. What sticks with me with this conversation and one of the realizations, like I always sort of enjoy what I learn about myself through these conversations, because really it's all about me. Your Um, mind is twisted. And because really, again, it's all about me, is just, I thought to myself, are fans who read this genre and writers who write this genre, are they fearless or are they scared of everything? And I think Josh Mallerman confirmed what I have always believed, which is actually... I think of myself as I'm not afraid of everything, but I do have some fears and I have a tendency to have anxiety around those fears. So why would you want to read about them? That's a question I still have for all the authors we've talked to. People have fears. They are afraid of things. Why would you want to read about them? For the same reason that when you hear a funny noise in the house, you go up there to look and see what it is. You just want to face it. And there is something cathartic in facing it and also something fun in facing it. Yes, it is interesting that the horror writers we've talked to say that there is a very thin line between horror and humor, more than just the fact that both words start in age. We're going to talk about some of the books in this conversation. You'll hear us. And you should probably know a little bit about them. Number one, Kate mentioned Bird Box, which was the first book that he published, which is about a plague that is really about in the land where if people look at something and you never know what the something is, they will die. Yeah, they essentially turn into a homicidal, suicidal person. Right. And they end their lives in terrible ways with whatever is, is But you never find out what it is that they're looking at. It's just they everybody's wearing blindfolds or putting curtains over their houses, over their windows, not going out. And how that evolves, it, it's an interesting plot, I guess. One thing I think that he does very well, especially in Bird Box, he creates an amazing atmosphere. Just the idea that people cannot call to each other. They have to signal each other in certain ways. It's a very tense book. 
And it's tense when his protagonists have to go out in public, which they do very reluctantly. And they are very spooked because they have blindfolds on themselves Mm -hmm. because they don't want to see whatever it is that if you see it, cause you to become homicidal or to commit suicide. And there's a sequel to that that Kate will mention, which is called Mallory. Mallory is the main character in Bird Box, and he has written a sequel. The other book Kate had me read is called Pearl. Pearl is the name of a pig, and the pig is telepathic. And the pig, (laughs) Kate's laughing at this because she's embarrassed she had me read it. No, Uh, that's not what it is. I took, (laughs) I I giggled half my way through the book because there is something... It's a telepathic pig. And when the farmer goes to kill the pig, he ends up killing himself. I mean, there's something amazing about that. Well, the pig gets in many characters' heads, and then they want to do harm to others. (laughs) Pig makes them think that. I don't know how. But it's it's an interesting plot. It's an interesting (laughs) plot mechanism. Anyway, you'll hear about all that as we talk to Josh Mallerman. Here's our conversation with a very prolific author, Josh Mallerman. Josh Mallerman, is a pleasure to have you in the bookcase. I know that horror exists within lots of other different genres, but I want to give sort of everybody a chance to define it. How do you define the genre of horror? Okay, well, for me, it has been elastic since day one. But the way that I know that I'm in the presence of horror, right, is that I feel like I, I have a sort of a cherished arrested development, meaning that horror <laughs> in a general sense, <laughs> horror in a general sense, is especially terrifying to like a younger person, a 14, 13 year old. And I have friends who are like, come on, this doesn't scare you, whatever. It does. And it still does. And I have maintained that childish wonder into adulthood, at least for the duration of the book, the movie or whatever it might be. When that happens, when that feeling happens for me, I'm like, okay, I am in the presence of horror. Doesn't have to be supernatural. Doesn't have to be violent. Whatever that is, when it strikes that nerve, in my silly ledger, it's, uh, it makes it into the horror column. What was the role of horror in your life before you started publishing? Because I get the sense that many of us got the bug when we were kids. I know I did. It, it, this was the strangest thing for me. I was outside playing basketball with my brothers and my cousin. And my mom's brother, my uncle, Bob, he somewhat randomly said to me, Josh, I think there's a movie that you will like. And he uh, gave me the VHS tape for uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. <laughs> and to this day, I want to know what was I saying for Uncle Bob to be like, this kid will love this, right? And, and, and so right away, and this goes back to your first question too, my first, my introduction to horror was anthology. And the five, six stories in Twilight Zone are unrelated and nothing like each other. So immediately the genre was elastic for me. And I felt, I just fell in love immediately. I was interested that you wrote and wrote and wrote novels before you ever got published, that you wrote them. I don't know if you envisioned publication or not, but you were playing as a musician on tour and you would write as you went along. Did you intend to publish? And take me through that process of how you, while going 60 miles an hour down the road, (laughs) were writing novels. Okay. Forget the the 68 miles down the road. Uh, how about the fact that the bandmates were listening to Jerry Garcia singing? <laughs> try, try writing a horror novel to that. <laughs> you know, I almost feel in hindsight that it was living a sort of delusion, but meanwhile, that delusion became real. Whereas I just 
foolishly or not, just assumed all these books would be published. I think I had written some 14 before Bird Box actually was published. And Bird Box was obviously one of those. And so was Goblin. And so was Inspection was in that batch. And there was just this sense of, I don't know what to do with these. I don't know where they're going, but I know that doing this is right. And I know that whatever um, the books themselves, the stories themselves, I knew that it was, I don't want to say like this noble endeavor, this pure endeavor, but I just understood that I was coming from this place of joy, intelligence, and had like an eye on the arc of each of these novel length stories. So there was a sense at the time I, I would have, um, what do you call it? Like phony interviews with editors. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I, would be like, I would be like, but what do you mean it needs to be changed? And there was no editor, you know. I would interview myself all the time. Like, you know, uh, why horror, Josh, you know? And, 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 the, and sometimes people will ask me, is it the most surreal thing that, you know, to see Sandra Bullock as Mallory, right, in, in Bird Box? And I'm like, yeah, that, that is pretty surreal, but I don't know if anything will ever be more surreal than seeing the black and white sketch of that delusion, that fantasy, turning to color, turning to real. Now the books are actually on the shelf. I want to ask you a little bit about that editing process the first time, because if I read correctly, you said Bird Box was, because Bird Box is not a, a very long novel, but you said when you originally put it, it was like two or three times its original length. What was that process like for you? And was it a sort of a wake-up shock, as it were? Oh my gosh. So the rough draft for Bird Box was twice as long. There were no, bear with me now, you're going to think I'm making this up. There were no indentations, no chapter <laughs> breaks, no quotation marks to let you know who was talking. There were 14 housemates instead of seven. And this is not a lie. The entire novel was written in italics. And the reason why was because the book before it, I had done like a dream sequence in italics. And I was like, Ooh, dude, Josh, imagine a whole novel like this because there's just something in present tense also something naturally nightmarish about this. It like, there was something experimental. The rough draft of bird box is like experimental. <laughs> and I, to this day, I'm not sure how my manager, Ryan, who's, you know, still my manager. Now he's the one it was sent to originally. I do not know what he saw in that <laughs> where he would be, he like step by step from there, he'd say, okay, uh, you need to, you need to indent the, the paragraphs and, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay, fine. I'll do that. I'll get to that. Josh, you know, I th you can't have the whole book in italics. And then I would, I would argue, you know, and he's like, hey, listen, once we get it through the door, then you can tell him you want to put it all back in italics. You know, he like played me like a violin. Bird Box, you wrote 2014. It becomes a movie 2018. It's released in 2016. So I'm really interested because essentially Bird Box is about an incredibly violent pandemic. And now we've had one. And the last few years have been really strange. So I know it's a hypothetical, but I'm interested to find out if the last few years would have changed the way that you would have approached Bird Box from the outset. Oh, that's a great question that no one has ever asked me. I wouldn't have wrote it. I don't think I would have wrote it. I, I wouldn't have been, you know, the last place I wanted to be. And I'm sure you feel the same or similar, like was in a pandemic, right? So I think right, sitting down to write, I, I would have been like, yeah, no, 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 we're not doing this like pandemic esque <laughs> story right now. But I will tell you this, Mallory, the follow-up to Bird yes. Box, released during the pandemic. Yes. And I felt a little bit how I'm describing right now. I felt a little weird about that because like to me, it wasn't, uh, 
Like I wasn't trying to do it, like, you know, yeah, like not capitalize, but even like no nod to what we were going through. I mean, the book had been written two years before. One interesting moment I had during the pandemic, I'm getting ready to leave my house and I grab my wallet, my keys, my phone, and I reach for like a blindfold. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the dude, that's the book, man. <laughs> I'm not a daredevil. I'm not going to jump off of, uh, uh, you know, bungee jump. I'm not going to really go on a crazy roller coaster. I'm not going to try some insane drug. But I am going to like sit down in the dark with the scariest thing I can watch or read. And when that feeling, that peaked feeling, you know, that, that sort of like tear in the fabric, and I'm looking through at like, and like I was saying before, believing the horror for the duration of the book or the film, that kind of thing. To me, that is, you feel so alive in that moment. And so I, I almost think it's something that an adrenaline junkie might, mm. might look at. But the difference here though, again, so I, I'm, an, I'm a militant optimist. I, I truly am. It takes a lot of work. If, I mean, that's a whole other freaking conversation. <laughs> But I think that the suggestion of ghosts and otherworldly creatures and demons and these kind of things, whether you believe it or not, the suggestion and, and a momentary belief even is so optimistic because it suggests there's more to life than this. Mm. And so to be walking around daily with a fear of death, which I do walk around daily with, there's something attractive about a genre that shows me a million alternatives to just bleak finality. Hmm. That's that's really interesting. Also, I, I'm struck by the fact that there is a lot of humor in novels of this genre. And a number of writers have told us that there is very close proximity between horror and humor. First of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, if you do, is it a relief from fright that makes it humorous or is it part of the fright? Okay, let's let's take Bird Box for example. You know, when I was rewriting it, I reckon I realized there was not a, there's not a single joke in that book. There is not a single beat <laughs> of like not one moment where like Mallory looks over at Tom and says like Don's a lunatic like and they laugh <laughs> nothing. And I was like, wow, this is. But then again, it's also not. I wouldn't consider Bird Box like ice cold or bleak like 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 some more extreme horror novels are. I do think that. Some movies, some novels use humor in that way as relief, sort of a pitch back and forth. And I do get a sense sometimes, not all the time, that they can be two sides of the same coin. Why? Well, for that reason I was saying before, when that moment of when I'm actually peaked and actually afraid. Now, let's flip that coin. Allison and I are watching a movie together and something legitimately funny happens and we look at each other. And Allison's amazing laugh and my laugh. And we're letting like that also is a peak, like you are alive moment. So I can see the correlation there. And also it's very hard to do both, right? Don't get the mood music and you don't get the stage blood and right. you don't get the special effects. So without giving away too many of your magician secrets, how do you as an author go about using the language to build that tension without those crutches? I'm so with you on everything you just said. We, we, the music <laughs> sets so much of the tone in these other scenarios. You know, for me, it seems like just do it suddenly with no telegraphing. And that doesn't have to necessarily mean a jump scare on paper, but let's take Pearl real fast, right? I think there's that moment where Jeff crawls out the window and he gets on the roof and he looks over and his dad's there and his dad's like, hi, Jeff. <laughs> and, and it's like that sort of, we didn't build, we weren't like dad's on his way down the hall. Oh my God, there's dad's shadow. No, you know, he's, he's crawls out, he looks over, there's dad. And I think that that's sort of 
yeah, trying not to give, show your cards and just sort of like, let it just happen. Let's not spotlight it too much. And that's sort of when you slip in the scare, it seems to be scarier to me. Mm. That's interesting because you're not building a sense of dread. You're shocking the reader. Yep, I agree. But then a book like Bird Box seems, does feel like a gradual one note hum. Like you could almost play... Mm. If you're going to play an organ, I can imagine just holding down the A or an A minor through the entire <laughs> novel and every scene that that music would work for every scene. Wow, that's, that's it is. It's really interesting that you say that because I don't think of Bird Box as a novel with beats. It's just it's intense. It's intense from the moment it starts until the moment it ends. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Me, meaning a, a novel without beats. And I love I've never heard someone say that. I love by the way, I'm, I'm loving what both of you guys are saying. This has been a wonderful experience already for me. Oh, great. Josh, I imagine when I read a horror novel that I want a conclusion, an end. In Bird Box, you don't, you never tell me what it is they're looking at that makes them go crazy. You leave it unresolved. It's just, it just continues to happen. I was just as scared at the end as I was at the beginning. How dare you? <laughs> yes. By the way, do you know what they look like? Um. Oh, look at that. What's the time? I, I, you, know, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I will say this: the the same silly answer I always give, which is, I know as much as Mallory knows. <laughs> I want to ask you sort of a fangirl question, which is I was super excited that Bird Box had a sequel. You've written a bunch of standalone books. How do you know that one is ripe for a sequel and when you decide to kick it off? Because I'm rooting for Daphne or Pearl, either one. Wow. Um, you know, OK, just recently I was talking to a friend and I was like, I feel like writing another Bird Box story. I just feel like being in that world. So I, and also I was telling, uh, talking to someone today about trying to write a nonfiction book about really about the joy of writing. Mm. And I think that it just, and I, you two may relate to this. If you just stay steady working, I think that like these kind of things naturally come up in, in, as you're trying to add variety to your own body of work or your own routine or whatever it is. So if you've done a number of standalones in a row, well, then maybe all of a sudden you feel like diving into a previous story to shake mm. up the experience for yourself. If you've mm. done a couple sequels in a row, you might be like, hey, hey, man, I want a fresh, a whole fresh story to go with. And so I think there's something sort of natural so long as you stay in writing shape all the time, you will sort of encounter these natural moments of, you know what, let's write a sequel to Unbury Carol. What is Pearl doing now? Oh, or did I have Pearl for breakfast this morning? <laughs> <laughs> a number of writers, Josh, have told us, write what you know, that that makes literature if you really write from personal experience. I can't imagine that you've had any personal experience with a telepathic pig. <laughs> I can't imagine you've ever looked at something that made you want to do yourself in. Do you go through some experience that brings about a plot for a novel or is it just solely something that you conjure up? Great question. I just think that, you know, if we go back to that, the Twilight Zone, the movie, and then actually to the Twilight Zone, the show, and I, and I know Rod Serling was definitely attempting to, you know, give messages or, or give uh, lessons, life lessons, these kind of things. But for me, with that introduction and a love for Hitchcock, I'm such a fan of the conceit of the idea of the premise of the scenario that whether it's something I know well or not, whether it's something I'm like, that feels like it's a jacket that fits or not, if the scenario thrills me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to write this book. So 
Less what I know and more what turns me on. I've had such a great time talking to you. Daphne, Pearl, uh, House at the Bottom of the Lake, Bird Box, Mallory. I am a big fan of your work and I, I will keep reading you. And thank you so much for being in the bookcase. We had a great time talking to you. Oh my gosh, I absolutely loved this. Thank you both too. And thank you for, again for reading the novels. It's like, like I was saying before, there was a there was a moment in time where, you know, you sort of insanely dream these kind of things will happen and here you've read all those books and so thank you for that hey i'm andy mitchell a new york times best-selling author and i'm sabrina kohlberg a morning television producer we're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years and we both love to talk about being parents yes but also pop culture So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though... It's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts. Rapid-fire questions for Josh Mallerman. Scariest book you ever read? Scariest movie you ever saw? I think the scariest book I ever read was probably Foe by Ian Reid. That one, Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach is another one. They both have just this fantastic ability to this undercurrent of dread. Neither of them, like with Pen Pal, nothing's coming at you. You don't even know what's bothering you about it. And to me, that's like a, you know, that's like mountaintop horror writing right there. All right. What about the scariest movie? Scariest movie is I don't know why, but it gets me every time is uh, Paranormal Activity. And I know you're probably like, really, dude? But like, I it scares me silly. And it has my favorite beat in a movie I've ever seen, in a scary movie. They invite the psychic over to the house, right? Yeah. To help like investigate what's going on. The psychic walks in the front door. You're thinking, you're preparing yourself for a whole scene here. He walks in the door and he goes, oh, I can't stay in this house. And he leaves. <laughs> I was like that you you in one line you just did like a like a like a whole centerpiece scene. Oh, also for anybody who has children and watches paranormal activity and rolls over and there's the child, you <laughs> yeah, know, you yeah. relate to it. You're like, ah, anyway, <laughs> do you ever scare yourself when you're writing? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a I have an amazing collection of horror vinyl soundtracks. And so oftentimes I have a record player behind me right now. I'll just throw on, you know, like the original, the shining on vinyl. 
I'll be alone in the house. All the lights are off in the house. I'm sitting here in the office. And there are times where I have to be like, dude, what, what are you doing to yourself? You know, <laughs> you're writing like all this scary stuff. And you got to be like, hold on. You, you know, you don't have to go this far, buddy. You know. <laughs> have you ever written anything that was too dark? Yeah, a couple times. Like I, for whatever reason, I don't even really like swearing much in my books. My fiance pointed out to me that in a sense, a lot of my books are a little bit sexless even. Like think about it. Mallory is pregnant, but we, by who? <laughs> definitely, we, we have no idea how this happened. She's like, she pointed that out to me one day with the most recent book. She's like, will you add a sex scene already? <laughs> so I do strangely approach writing with almost kind of like with this gentlemanly thing. I wear a suit when I'm writing and there have been a couple of scenes where I'm like, no, 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 that, that's not you, Josh. That's too dark for you. That's too brutal for you. That kind of thing. Do your parents read all of your work and are they like, yeah, that's what my son does? Or are they like, yeah, that's what my son does? It's funny. You can tell, you know, my mom read Bird Box long before I had an agent or anything. And she called me up. She goes, this is the one. This is the one that's going to break through for you. And I was like, huh? I was like, because to me, they're all, you know, they're all, I love them all. Right. And she's like, yo, this is the one that's going to break through. I can just tell. And she read that experimental version. And she's hmm. like, this is the one. Um, but then you can, on the flip side of that, because she called me, you can tell the ones where she's like, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that was colorful. Yeah. When you read a book in another genre, a straight novel, a uh, adult novel, uh, to use a bad phrase, or a mystery or a thriller that is not horror, do you think to yourselves, I know how to twist that and make it into a horror novel? Yes. Yes. And another thing that happens is that I'll be watching like a show with Allison that isn't horror and like a woman will be like alone in her house and I'm like scared for her. <laughs> this isn't a horror movie. <laughs> You're like, this is law and order. It's okay. They're in a courthouse. It's fine. Are horror writers scared of everything or are they completely fearless? Scared of everything. Everything. I mean, to the point where when we, <laughs> I get scared of flying and Allison one time asked me why. And I was like, Allison, think about it. Like the knowledge to fly is invisible. The only thing keeping us afloat is the invisible knowledge inside the pilot's head. What if he can't find it? What if he misplaces? Then, you know, she's like, Josh, dude, you know? And we, I, I'm like scared of, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm painting myself to be like this total weirdo by saying that, but I scare easy. If you weren't writing horror, what would you be writing? You know, my favorites, Faulkner. Philip Roth, Toni Morrison, Proust's giant book. I think just something more, oh no, I think something more, just more literary, I suppose, with undercurrents of this sort of thing. Because most great literary novels, obviously beloved, um, have undercurrents of, of horror or darker themes to begin with. And I do fantasize about writing something more akin to Faulkner, to Fitzgerald, to like the greats that I, you know, Virginia Woolf that I like grew up with. It's funny because I found Animal Farm disturbing. And when I was reading Pearl, I was thinking, this is why Animal Farm scared me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get good grades in English? And were you writing stuff that perhaps frightened the teachers? Yeah. Yeah. All that. Yes. That, that stuff got really good grades. And I remember the uh, short story for in high school about a, um, a model that had this look in her eye that nobody could figure out. And then finally this photographer sort of like follows her to her house and watches as she removes both glass eyes, you know, <laughs> this whole time, you know? And I thought this was the greatest twist in history when I was like 16, you know? You can see like the teacher's like, that one, 
wow, that one, that one did something, Josh. You know, and you're like, ah, oh, sweet. Man. I can see the teacher going home and saying, I don't know quite what grade to give Josh on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a question we stole from Stephen Colbert, but we find it illustrative. In five words, what do you want the rest of your life to be? Wow. Motivated by joy and enthusiasm. Oh, I love that. Our conversation with Josh Mallerman, which I just, I really enjoyed. Right after we had our conversation, I finished Mallory, which as we mentioned, is the sequel to Bird Box. You know, dare I say, I thought it was even a little bit better than Bird Box. I loved it because in some ways it becomes about, you know, this plague is still there and it becomes about who's going to honor the real restrictive life that you have to lead if you're going to survive and who is going to accept the new world for what it is and try to experiment and fix the problem. And in some ways, it became a COVID allegory. And I remember thinking to myself, ooh, I wonder if he can pull this off. And in my opinion, he did. What in your mind is the difference between those two books and science fiction? I would say probably, I don't know that I could define this well. I guess if I was going to define this in conversation at a party, so please don't quote me as a literary scholar, but I think I would probably say the jump scares and the violence. I think that would probably be what crosses it over. But I think Christopher Golden said it really well when he said there is so much crossover. There is some stuff that is called horror that he's not even comfortable being horror. But like Alien is science fiction, but it's a haunted house movie. Yeah. And there are ghosts in so many books. John Irving recently, his last novel contains ghosts. Tons of them. Many of them, right? <laughs> there are ghosts in Shakespeare. There are ghosts in many great literary writers. As our friend uh, Otto Pensler said to us, uh, people say to him, I don't read mysteries. And he says, well, read Shakespeare or read Dickens. There's lots of mysteries in those books. And so is there horror yeah. in the books of many great writers. Anyway, Josh Mallerman, very interesting conversation <laughs> with him. I think we can just take a minute just to remind people, we do want to mention that we look at the comments that are left on the Apple podcast site we know that many of you listen on different platforms. There are many platforms. As we like to say, this podcast is available wherever free podcasts are sold. But the comments we have found to be thoughtful on Apple, and we really appreciate your suggestions. Uh, we want more of them. You can rate us. We like that. If you rate us well, of course. <laughs> There's a couple of stick in the muds, but a pox upon them. But we do read the comments, and we take them seriously. For instance, uh, some people have suggested, uh, one person recently suggested that we should do some podcasts on poetry. We will. There have been authors suggested to us that we have read and liked, and some that we thought, well, maybe it's not just right for this podcast. But please do. It is our way of hearing from you, and we like that. That's our plug for today. We're, we're going to do a couple of more shows on, on horror. I'm just delighted to hear. We're going to do a few more shows on horror. I'm really having such a good time. But do stick with us if you can. We'll do the last horror show, the last official horror show of this series in October. I'm yeah, not but, saying, just, but, but no more than one a month, right? Yes. Okay. And yes, no, no more than one a month. And I'm not going to say that maybe you're not going to see a horror author occasionally pop up in our retinue as we move forward. But uh, trust That'll me. That'll be when I'm on vacation. <laughs> trust me when I tell you that all of them will be thoughtfully discussed between the two of us because my father will probably make me work for it. So <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening and sticking with us. I hope you're exploring the genre and enjoying. And we will finish by telling you who's responsible for this podcast and also get a coda. 
from Josh Mallerman. The Bookcase with Kate and Charlie Gibson is a production of ABC Audio. It's produced by David Canada in conjunction with SureCam Productions. Brenda Salinas-Baker is our senior producer and Laura Mayer is our executive producer. We give special thanks to Josh Cohen, Elizabeth Russo, Nania McLean, and Cameron Chertavian. I think that it's just something that I think about often is that for an artist, and especially in this day and age where a lot of people seem like to compare themselves with other people online and, and this kind of thing, is that when you sit down to work on a, on a novel or a movie or whatever it might be, a poem, is to just get rid of the words good or bad. Don't worry if that first go round is right or wrong, good or bad. And just be aware that it's in the rewrites, it's in the reshaping, it's in the rehearsals where things become great. But you can't make it great if it's not there to begin with. So get those, you know, to a writer listening or an artist listening or, or anything, a business person. Don't worry about that first go round being perfect. Just worry about like being in writing shape and having the engine to do it, to complete it um, and worry later and, and make it great later. As in previous campaigns, it's the economy, stupid. We'll be looking at that this morning. First, though, it's the news, stupid. It is the economy, stupid. It's not the economy, stupid. It's national security, stupid. It's the hair, stupid. In 1992, one of the best-known pieces of presidential campaign wisdom was born. It's the economy, stupid. But was it actually the economy that won Bill Clinton that election? In a new series from the 538 Politics podcast, we're taking a look back at conventional wisdom from past elections with a critical lens. Where did that wisdom come from, and does it hold up today? Find the Campaign Throwback series in the 538 Politics feed wherever you get your podcasts.